Hello, everybody. Welcome to Root for Each Other, a Branches podcast, where we take a meaningful look at the dynamics of domestic violence and how trauma-informed, inclusive advocacy can make a difference. I'm Shannon. And I'm Emily. And the opinions on this podcast are ours and do not necessarily represent the opinion of Branches. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to another episode of Root for Each Other. I am Sarah, and I am here today with our licensed social worker and support group specialist at Branches, also named Sarah. Today's episode is going to be a, a tale of two Sarahs, um, and we are so excited to have her with us today on Root for Each Other because um, the work that she does with Branches is just incredibly important, and um, we're excited for her to share a little bit about that but also um, just talk in general about what it means to be trauma-informed, why support group is such an important aspect of the services that we provide, and um, just welcome. Thanks for being here, Sarah. Thank you so much for that nice introduction. I'm excited to be here. One of the things that I love about you as like a person that has started working with us, just because I love working with you, but also, you know, you've been with us for a little over a year, and you started out with Branches. Um, actually, while you were at Marshall, graduating from Marshall, and um, you worked in our evening advocate position. And I think that really um, brought a lot to the table for you about like kind of already knowing about advocacy. Do you do you feel like it helped? I think it definitely did. I think that that gave me the perspective I needed to continue on to this position as our social worker and support group specialist. Um, I think I definitely needed that experience and that education, just working with, you know, victims, survivors of domestic violence, you know, before I could eventually be their counselor. Oh, that's great. Um, So I'm just going to go ahead and get started. We're going to launch right into our discussion today. And um, one of the things that we have noticed and that we've really talked about is that, you know, on this podcast, we often use the phrase trauma informed advocacy. We say that all the time. So what is trauma informed advocacy to you and how does it make a difference for survivors? So that one phrase, trauma-informed advocacy, is just so important in the work that we do. Um, Trauma-informed advocacy is the realization that the individuals that we do work with have more likely than not experienced some sort of trauma, Um, especially working with survivors of domestic violence like we do. um, All of our clients have a history of trauma. In my position as a social worker who does provide those counseling services, I think trauma-informed advocacy truly allows me to be empathetic, to be able to connect to people on a deeper level. Um, these situations leave individuals feeling like they have nobody. They feel like they can't trust anybody. They can't rely on anybody. And nobody that makes, they don't have anybody that makes them feel safe. Um, having this trauma-informed mindset, just myself and our, and as an organization in general, um, can allow us to empathize with these factors of trust and safety. And I think this will in turn help us, you know, build that relationship, build that rapport with each individual. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that you're a hundred percent right about that. At first I was really kind of confused about what trauma-informed advocacy meant when I first got to branches. Because I don't think it's a phrase that we use every day. And, you know, when you're in the field, when you're working with survivors every single day, it becomes just like the jargon of the agency. Like this is something that you think about all the time. But probably for many of our listeners, they they don't think about that all this all the time. And so um, I think just having you here to like really help us think about what that means and, and what 
we're doing when we're when we're doing trauma informed advocacy is so incredibly beneficial. How do you think that we can move beyond simply being informed and start thinking about like how we as an agency can be trauma responsive? I think we can be trauma responsive with not only just recognizing mm-hmm. that they have trauma, but also making that, you know, an apparent part of their care. Um, I know that trauma-informed advocacy, just like you said, has been just an apparent part. You know, we have to recognize that trauma is such a big factor in the clients that we work with, but it's also, you know, a big factor in them healing. And especially with like counseling and support group, I feel like, you know, you have to respond to that trauma and recognize that trauma and, you know, talk about it to be able to heal from it. One of the things that we offer at Branches that is like incredibly effective for uh, doing trauma-informed advocacy is our support group feature. And um, like like I mentioned earlier, support group specialist is actually in your title um, at, at branches. So um, why do you think the support group practice is particularly useful when working with domestic violence victims? So I think support groups in general can be beneficial for anybody that has experienced trauma. Just having that sense of connectivity and support can truly help in the healing process. However, I do think that the support group setting is particularly useful when working with victims of domestic violence. Um, I think this is due to the factor of isolation, that being a big factor that comes along with domestic violence. It's part of, you know, the power and control wheel. It's a power and control tactic that is used by the abuser. You know, they'll often isolate the individual from their friends, from their family. Um, And this makes it extremely difficult for the individuals to be able to gain that perspective from outside of their relationship. And I truly think that that's why these groups are so important, you know, to not only gain some per- some of that perspective back, but to also realize, you know, how many individuals might be going through similar situations. Sarah, I think that's such a great point that you bring up. I um, had never really considered that it's connected to that idea of how abusers, you know, use isolation as a tactic. And, you know, when I am giving presentations in the community, sometimes people will ask me, they'll say like, okay, well, what can I do for a loved one that's experiencing domestic violence? And very frequently, I will say something along the lines of like, well, it's really important to remember that long-term abuse is actively trying to change their brain. It's trying to change the way that they look at themselves. Their, their, the effect on their self-belief is enormous. And so one thing that you can do as a loved one is to keep reminding them who they are and, and the power that they have and the resilience that they have that cannot be taken from them. And I had never thought about before, like, oh, yeah, support group is a great environment to start like that process of rebuilding self-belief and, and rebuilding those um, like reframing the way that that abuse teaches you to think about yourself. I, I was I was very impressed with this answer. I, I think that's. Yeah, because, you know, they're taught not to share that information, not to give that information to anybody, you know, their experiences, the abuse that they inflict on these individuals, you know, the abuser wants to keep private, they don't want them to, you know, gain any perspective from friends, family, and of course, jealousy comes into a big factor, comes in as a big factor as well. I have been working with you for quite a while now, um, in a lot of different capacities. Uh, Can you think about or maybe come up with like... um, what for you was like a defining moment in a support group that you've done where like you were like, oh, wow, I really see how effective this is. One support group, just like the activity anyway, I'll give you the details of, you know, the activity that we did. Um, I just felt like it wasn't, you know, going to be as beneficial as it truly was. 
Um, we just, you know, went over, you know, what your values were, what your morals are, you know, what you want to do in your life. And it was more of like an arts and crafts activity. We just, you know, cut things out of magazines and, you know, different things like that to portray, you know, the life you want. And then, you know, also the life that you have, you know, come from. And I just got a lot of great feedback that I, you know, really wasn't expecting um, at the beginning of the group. You know, a lot of people said, you know, I've never been asked that. I've never been asked, you know, what I valued, what I wanted in my life. Um, Ever since I was like a little kid, I haven't been asked that. And so that kind of was, you know, an eye opener for me, because what I think would be, you know, a small activity or, you know, something that I would just regularly reflect on, that is something that has been taken from these individuals. You know, they haven't got the opportunity to think outside the box and think, you know, of all these opportunities that they really do have. And so that was definitely, you know, an eye opener for me whenever it comes to support group. Oh, I think that's incredibly beautiful. I, I, I mean, you know what a big proponent I am. I make everybody <laughs> um, ask themselves what their values are. I, I think it's really important to know that as a, as a human being on this planet. And um, just like that, like the, the sort of gentleness of like, hey, I've never been asked that or I can't remember a time when I was asked to, to think about what I wanted. And, and I, think that's, I think that's really helpful and really beautiful. So I, I get it. I would I would have been very moved in that support group as well. <laughs> we have some exciting news to share. We're very, very excited that we've recently started a virtual support group. It is, of course, you know, just one more way to do outreach at a time when we have to be more um, virtually minded. So um, let's talk about that. Like, what's the benefits of a virtual support group and how could someone find more information about how to participate in that group? I am so glad you asked because I am super excited about our new virtual support group. We actually just had our first one on Monday. There'll be Mondays from five to six. Um, I think one of the biggest benefits of offering this virtual support group is accessibility. Um, One factor that goes into this is, of course, COVID. With us trying to restrict large gatherings, we want to be able to meet and support each other. But, you know, stay safe in this global pandemic as well. Um, This gives us a space where we can still meet and stay connected throughout all of that. Um, Another factor is our clients either don't live in the Huntington area or they don't have the transportation to go somewhere. They don't have the access to childcare to be able to come and meet by themselves. Um, Having this virtual support group allows us to just break down some of those barriers and to reach a lot more people in the end. If anybody is listening also that would like some more information about our virtual support group, you can fill out our support group interest form, and that is on our website. Our website is branchesdvs.org and then slash virtual support group. Um, You can also call our hotline. Um, That number you can find online, but it is also 304-529-2382. Um, either route will connect you with me and then I would be able to provide some more information to you, of course, and get you set up for our next group. I just think it's super cool that we're starting that virtual support group where we're making an effort to reach out to folks in a way that um, is different. And can you can you share a little bit about like what what do you have planned? Do you have anything planned for the virtual support group that um, may be a little bit different than the regular one or the, the more in-person one? Um, My biggest thing in regards to that would probably be just reaching people from so many different places because, you know, my in-person support group is just at our cabal shelter. You know, they're all, you know, right there all together, which I love being in person, of course, but the virtual support group, I feel like just allows us to reach so many different people from so many different states, even, you know, we have people joining from 
just various states, you know, so far from here. And so I think that that allows people to gain perspective from them and then also realize, you know, it's so far beyond, you know, just this one little town or your, you know, one story, which is, you know, very important and very valid, but it also gives, you know, survivors a sense of um, connectivity. You know, they get to see that this is not happening to them, that this is not happening in just this one town. You know, this is some, this is a problem that is widespread. And, you know, there's a lot of people that you can connect with. I love that. I, I think connection is important in every aspect. Talking about that connection, one thing that we do know is that like as a listener, someone who's listening, if they are considering joining a support group, maybe maybe they're not even in like a, a current or active domestic violence situation, but they've had something in their history and that makes them feel kind of hesitant about reaching out. What would you what advice would you give to someone that was kind of interested in joining a support group, but was feeling unsure or anxious about it? Yeah, Um, I would start by just firstly letting them know that that's completely normal to have those feelings of uncertainty and anxiousness when it comes to joining a new group. My biggest piece of advice is just to talk to the facilitator about your concerns. I know just as a facilitator myself that I want to provide the most comfortable experience for the people wanting to join my group because I want them to continue to come back in the future. Um, This is something that I asked before sending the link to anybody for the Zoom group. Um, I want to get a sense of how comfortable they are in the group setting. And not all groups work for everybody, and that's okay, too. Um, There's no harm in trying out a few different groups a few different times until, you know, you truly find a group that really benefits you in your healing process. I really love that emphasis on... um, you know, healing is so individual. We think that there's like a, a one size fits all healing package sometimes when it comes to trauma. But like, as we know, trauma just affects everyone differently. So it makes sense that our strategy for approaching that would be individualized. You know, we've talked already a little bit about being trauma informed. And one of the things that we talk quite a bit about at Branches is this idea that, you know, we have trauma informed victim centered advocacy. And I stand by that. I think that that is one of the most important aspects of what we do. When you're thinking about how to structure your support group, how do you feel like you keep survivors centered in that support group? So I try to make my support groups as, you know, like you said, trauma-informed, as client-centered as possible. Because at the end of the day, I want to cure support group to benefit each person that decides to join. One thing I really think helps with this is asking two questions at the beginning of each group. I ask these every group, even if they're, you know, virtual or in person, this is, you know, typically the thing that I start with. I ask, what are your expectations for what you want to get out of this group? And does anybody have any suggestions for topics they would like to see in the future? I think this gives them, you know, a sense of control while also giving me perspective on what they might be needing at that time. And once again, I want to make my groups as comfortable as possible. Um, Just for one example, a few of my clients expressed that they weren't really comfortable having their video on and, you know, they weren't comfortable sharing personal information or personal experiences during the group. And, you know, this is speaking solely for my group at Branches, but this is completely fine. Um, Some individuals find it therapeutic to share while others would just rather listen and connect on that level. So just from my experience, this has only helped my client-centered approach and making these survivors as comfortable as possible. I think that's such a great point. I I think also like, you know, there's an element of however long you stay with a support group, however long you stay 
um, you know, rooted in doing that self-work, you're going to grow along that journey. So maybe you'll join the support group and you don't want to put your camera on. You don't ever want to talk. But like somewhere along the way, maybe you'll decide that you do. And I really think it's like so important to create an environment where like it's okay to have those changes. Like if you don't want to talk today, but you do a different day and then you go back to never wanting to talk again, that's that's okay too. So we know that like healing is a journey and that trauma affects everyone in a different way. So what do you think, like, what do you think about that concept? Like making the environment safe for people to heal in different ways. I think that's honestly so important in, you know, getting people to come back, you know, they've experienced, you know, so these long relationships of, you know, not feeling safe and not feeling that they could express themselves. So, you know, I don't blame them. I, that's one of my, you know, group rules per se is that, you know, don't force anybody to share because, you know, that's not therapeutic for everybody. And, you know, going to back to a question you asked earlier, you know, something that I'm excited about for virtual support group is just to be able to build, you know, that connection with the same people over time. Um, that's one downfall of the Cabell shelter which obviously I, I love having an in-person group. It's amazing. Um, but the people change, you know, we get people rehoused so quickly. So, you know, the groups change every couple weeks, but that's something that I'm really, really looking forward to in this virtual support group is keeping those same individuals, you know, pulling in those individuals that are getting housed and, you know, are now have the option of joining the virtual support group and hopefully just continuing to build that and continuing to make them, you know, feel safe enough to share in that type of environment. And honestly, you bring up such a great point about what an incredible benefit the virtual support group is going to have, which is that it's going to allow folks that have, you know, gone through their point of crisis, been housed, like they're, they're rebuilding their life free from violence. And now, I mean, they have always had this option, but now they have a virtual option to continue to maintain contact with the shelter and our crisis counselor slash social worker. Like you, your position is so important in that way because you're allowing folks the space to heal over time, even beyond after their point of crisis. So I, I just, I love what we're doing. I think it's going to be a great, uh, a really great benefit to our services or addition to our services is really what I'm trying to say. Okay. So we've talked about so much that you're doing at branches. Um, I just kind of want to like finish up by talking to you a little bit, you know, aside from support group, we've talked about that so much. What other services do you provide at Branches and and what do you love doing at Branches? So Branches Advocates wear many hats. As you know, Sarah, we wear many hats. We truly work as a team to help each survivor. Um, we often collaborate to tackle, you know, certain issues we're having, support each other's ideas, um, just provide that helping hand when things do get busy because you know that they do. Um, other than they support do. group. <laughs> other than the, you know, weekly support group and then virtual support group, I also offer individual counseling. This takes up most of my day. Um, they're blocked off in one hour sessions and they are also held virtually due to the pandemic mm -hmm. um, for non-residential clients anyway. Um, our residential clients in Cabell and in Putnam, I do meet with them in person. So that's a nice little switch up from, you know, strictly technology all the time. Um, but that mostly fills my day, just those one hour sessions with with, um, you know, each individual that typically um, happens weekly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's such a great approach, too, because that is like 
Um, it's giving folks the option to meet with you in a private, like one-on-one space, but they also, most of them have the option to, to participate in that support group. So it's like they get um, a variety of ways to help themselves and a variety of ways to address those domestic violence related issues that they're dealing with. So I, I think that it's a, it's a great approach. And then also, I just want to say, Sarah, I see you popping up everywhere at the shelter. You, you're doing all kinds of stuff, like working with um, our other team members and, and collaborating on challenging um, circumstances. Like you said, it's just such a team effort at branches. We're a real work fam, in my opinion, maybe no one else thinks that, but I do. Yeah. And I feel the same way about, you know, all of my coworkers as well. I feel like I have to have that, you know, perspective in order to excel. And in in order to have, you know, these new things like the virtual support group, I wouldn't have even come close to, you know, being able to start this up so soon if it wasn't for you and Amanda and Amber, you know, or other people that really help collaborate on this and, you know, make it so I could start it even sooner. So that's, you know, always just a huge part of working at branches. Mm -hmm. We appreciate you so much. I'm so, uh, I just want to thank you so much for being on this episode. I think you've provided just such a great amount of information for our listeners uh, about what you do and about how, uh, what types of support systems are, are in place at Branches. So thank you so much for being here. Of course. I appreciate the invite always. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Um, so we want to thank you for joining us for yet another episode of Root for Each Other. Um, we hope that you'll continue with us on this journey as we strive to be better advocates and to uh, make the world a little safer. So um, in the meantime, I hope you go out and root for each other. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for this very special episode of Root for Each Other. We are Branches Domestic Violence Shelter, and we've been serving the communities of Cabell, Wayne, Lincoln, Mason, and Putnam counties for 41 years. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, please call the Branches Hotline 24-7 at 304-529-2382. And hey, Sarah, guess what? What? Branches is proud to serve all. Yeah. Yeah, we are. Thanks, everybody. Go out and root for each other.